Eliab, there's two things that are wrong with your site. He goes, you need photos of happy people. Stop putting just pretty photos of balloons. He goes, you need to show the experience and what it's really like at that moment of that joy and of really people. And I was like, okay, makes sense. So I got him a bunch of people photos, right? And then the um, the other piece was the language because I'd put in a lot of SEO and a lot of words, right? To make sure that I was ranking because we started ranking number one for tons and tons of stuff, right? And the I started using ChatGPT um, about two years ago, like there uh, through Jarvis, you know, which was like one of the early AI writers mm-hmm. or Jasper, you know? And uh, I just wrote like, use the tone of Robin Leach. Right. Like the guy from the rich and famous. And I go use descriptive adjectives. I started like relearning the English language that I did not care about. And I was never an amazing writer. And all of a sudden I was like, use similes, use descriptive storytelling, you know, use like wonderlust adjectives and tantalizing adjectives around descriptions. And all of a sudden, like my words that I already built would turn magical where the feeling was there. Like so powerful. Are you interested in adding multi-day to your day tour business? Are you looking to understand growth and scale strategies in the multi-day world? Looking to finally crack the technology stack you need to organize, automate, and grow your business? Then join Tourpreneur in Seville, Spain for Tourpreneur Connect. Sponsored by We Travel, Yuli, and Aback DMC Spain, November 27th to 30th, 2023, for an event unlike any other in our industry. Open to strictly 100 operators. Pete, Mitch, Chris, and other industry experts will guide you through the do's, don'ts, twists, and turns of running a multi-day tour business. Not only that, Tourpreneur are giving back as we will be bringing in local suppliers and businesses to help us run the event. We're also opening up to a number of locally-based tour operators who can attend for free. So join Tourpreneur in Seville for Connect November 27th to 30th, 2023. And join us for an unforgettable experience of learning and connection in one of Europe's most unforgettable cities. Visit tourpreneur.com slash connect for more info. All right, I'm excited today. I've got Eliav Cohen from Seattle Ballooning sitting with me. Hey, Eliav, thanks for coming along. Hey, how you doing, Matt? So I'm excited about this. I have wondered for the longest time why I've never seen a hot air ballooning company do multi-day tours. And that was the spark that caused me to reach out to Eliav. He's got a lot of passion, a lot of excitement. But Eliav, why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Yeah, my name is Eliav. I'm the chief pilot and the owner of Seattle Ballooning. And we essentially... I'd done daily tours in front of Mount Rainier uh, in Seattle here for the, since 2016. Uh, launched another location in Walla Walla over the vineyards, flying over you know, grapevines. Uh, so we had that. And then my dream was always, since the day I'd gotten my commercial license, was to recreate uh, the multi-day balloon tour of this guy named Buddy Bombard from the 80s and 90s, who was probably the best tour operator to ever live. And I know that's like a big thing to say but he really did and what he had created with like the luxury tour world when it was like challenging to like get in touch with people and you know the 80s right. and 90s and uh and early 2000s yeah. so we've recreated that again and are now doing 
multi-day, three, five, seven-day, ridiculous worldwide balloon tours with hot air balloons. Man. So how does... You just talked about getting a commercial license, though. That's to run a hot air balloon business, um, right? To become a hot air uh, balloon pilot. So it's just to be able to be able to fly the balloons, not run mm. the business. There's right. uh, there's a lot of people that become balloon commercial balloon pilots because it allows you to train other people to fly balloons. And that's part of the biggest challenge in ballooning in general is that it's mostly full of a bunch of elderly white guys who are like in their 70s who've been flying balloons since the 1980s or right. 70s. And it's hard to get new people in because it's kind of like one of those you have to buy a hot air balloon in order to become a pilot in yeah. general. So you can't like rent a balloon. So it's a very, very small niche of people that become pilots. And it's almost like someone who uh, gets into yachting, you know, or like, you know, it's a, it's a very specific and challenging um, uh, group with a lot of, you have to have a lot of uh, expendable income in order to even get into the sport uh, and then want to be able to, right. you know, have fun and uh, do rides for them. Why can't you rent a hot air balloon? So in in general, like when you rent a plane, right, you it's very, very simple, right? Because they can repair them easily. You're not worried about a lot of stuff. But in a balloon, because it's fabric and you're only using the winds to control where you're going, there ends up being some a lot of repair on uh, on new student pilots, right? <laughs> yeah. Or uh, you may have a $100,000 or $150,000 balloon and you don't want to necessarily ruin that of having a brand new student learn to fly it. So how it typically works is either you go to a 141 school right, to learn how to fly hot air balloons, and you'll pay probably 10 grand just even to do you know, your private license. And then you don't even have a balloon when you're done. So it's much, the easiest way to get into ballooning is to buy your own balloon for 15, 20 grand. And then local balloon pilots will basically train people for free or for just like a hundred dollars or you buy them breakfast because we want people to get into the sport. And so that's why pretty much everyone just buys their own hot air balloon. And there aren't really even hot air balloon clubs where like if people share them, really everyone has to own your own hot air balloon. So when I got into it, I literally spent $7,500 bought a balloon before I'd ever, you know, had a single hour of training. And wow. then you learn on your own equipment and your own system, which is amazing. So you went to the hot air balloon shop. The hot air balloons are up. It's called Facebook. Yeah. Facebook. So basically it's a Facebook group, right? And there's, you know, balloon repair stations that kind of know whose balloons are out of annual or who needs to get out of ballooning in general. And I found a 75-year-old lady who was very wonderful, a nurse out of uh, Rio Rancho in Albuquerque, and she, or New Mexico. And I told her how passionate I was, how excited. This is like 22-year-old kid or 23-year-old kid wanting to get into ballooning. And she gave me a great deal on the balloon and I bought my first balloon. Um, and then I literally, after that, started learning how to fly it and did all my training. I've heard, I have heard before that people in hot air ballooning are nuts, right? It's like... Well, they call them aero nuts, right? right. Or balloonatics, right? Because uh, uh, when you're a balloon pilot, you're called an aero knot, right? right? I wouldn't say it's, you know, nuts. I'd say that the fixed wing pilots find ballooning fascinating because they're like, we can control where we're going. How do you control where you're going? And what's fascinating is they're very surprised when I'll launch from one airport and we will land at another airport only using the winds to control where we're going. And that's why ballooning is very much an art and a skill. And 
some people are, as the FAA says, hot air balloons are unsteerable aircraft. However, some pilots tend to be better at steering them than others. And I happen to be one of those that are a little bit. <laughs> um, so I, I, uh, I have a, I'm just wondering when it comes to hot air balloons and I, I will talk about them all the day stuff in a second, right? But part of the po- purpose of this whole podcast is just for me to scratch itches <laughs> sure. and people can, people can join me along the way, right? And all the questions that you, you never thought you had, um, about hot air balloons. So when it comes to hot air balloons, right? Like, you know, when you go, I'm not really that into hot rods or anything like that, but the way I imagine it is if you're hanging around a p- bunch of people who own vintage cars and then someone rocks up with like this incredible Dodge Charger or something like that and it's just from 1964 or some year that matters in the world of cars and everyone's like oh my god and the whole room stops and they're whistling and all that sort of stuff in hot air balloons is there a similar kind of thing like yeah, someone it... rocks up with a vintage 82 basket or something like that and oh. everyone's just like <laughs> so the I do have a vintage balloon it's from 1965 it was the 12th yeah. balloon ever built and it is absolutely terrifying in every way so no one wants to fly old fabric balloons from the 60s, but have we do inflate them at events and it's cool to look at and all the balloonists kind of dork out. We're, we call it a balloon porn. Uh, and it's burners. So it's literally the burners can get very designed and are beautiful. These brand new burners are sexy. They are beautiful. And you pick the colors, and they're shiny and they're, you know, they put out uh, different amounts of power and that's where people get a, get excited is about the burners and then the envelopes you really are designing them when you're getting them built each one is custom so a brand new balloon it's just beautiful the colors or you've got special shaped balloons you can get a you know uh um there was a guy named malcolm forbes right billionaire malcolm forbes he had 12 special shaped balloons he had like you know the taj mahal turned into a balloon and he had the sphinx turned into a balloon and an elephant balloon like you can really turn anything to a special shape, and that's kind of like the coolest of the cool, right? Is stuff like that. Uh, right. But as far as equipment, it's the brand new coolest equipment. Uh, it's because it's beautiful, and All those right. corners are gorgeous. And then having balloons that are fully printed of every so panel, the, gorgeous. So what's the equivalent? So cars have horsepower, right? Burners have. Uh, these are BTU. So it's uh, it's how hot, quiet, and focused the flame is. So old balloon burners uh the flames kind of went out a little bit right it wasn't a real uh, it was a little orangey right or red but the new burners are just blue coming straight up candlestick and when you two burners it's how then they cross to come together with the flame uh they just create a very tight burn which helps make sure you never burn fabric but it's also they're ridiculously powerful compared to even burners from 10 years ago so what's a high level of BTU? What's a good, what's a big- 32 one? million BTU on each burn. So if you imagine your barbecue is 70,000, I'd right. say that's pretty hot. <laughs> so you'd be like walking up to a balloon, you'd be like, oh man, is that a, is that a, is that a double burner th- th- 32 or something uh, like that? Is that what you guys say? I'm trying to imagine I mean, these internal world it And balloonists know the new burners. Like it's, right. it's like one of those cool things that whoever has them and they're, and you also have people of different colors on them or all kinds of stuff. So. Um, for me, I just want, uh, since we fly commercial balloons, I just want the most powerful bl- burners on the market that'll, that are correct for that size balloon. But the, I mean, it's not like there's that many hot air balloons in the world. Who's, who's, who's manufacturing these burners? So there's actually five major manufacturers in the world and that's it, right? So you've got Cameron in, Cameron in the United States, Lindstrand in the United States. So those are two main American companies. Those are the ones that we use. 
Uh, then there's Kubacek balloons out of uh, Czechos- uh, old Czechoslovakia, uh, the Czech Republic. They have beautiful balloons that are amazing. Um, and then you've got Ultra Magic in Spain, and then you've got Kavanaugh in Australia, and that's it. That's all the balloon manufacturers. Then you got some weird, like, small ones that are starting Cappadocia and other places where there's a lot of ballooning. They're starting to build their own balloons, and they're just copying the other companies and, you know, trying to create their own equipment. Right. I'm on the Cameron Balloons website right now, checking out their burners. <laughs> it's pretty badass. That's amazing. Um, so let's talk about safety. It's a common topic that you must get. It's must so, be in the FAQs on your website. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. I, uh, I started the American, uh, ballooning safety and training association as a, um, uh, because you have the balloon federation of America, which is the main like federation that had been created in the 1960s by Ed Yost, one of the founders of ballooning. And what I found was that the Balloon Federation America was not doing the job that I wanted them to do uh, around safety, PR. Because when something happens in the world, right? And I'm going to give you an example of something you know, that happened yesterday, which is um, like weird timing, right? In Mexico, there was a balloon accident where there was a pilot and the basket caught on fire. And we all started looking at, well, what happened? Well, we discovered very quickly is that the tanks weren't even aircraft tanks. They were literally like some random uh, like warehouse propane tank. Uh, the burner and the envelope didn't go together, and which is completely illegal and unsafe. And it's because of those types of things in the United States, we have such safety because we have amazing regulation with the FAA and with balloon repair stations and people that understand safety. And that's why... You know, in third world countries, there are challenges because they don't have that type of over overlook or oversight over the equipment. Um, and that's why in general in aviation, there's more issues in third world countries. In America, the status that balloons are the safest form of all aviation only due to the fact that we only fly in good weather and there's very, very little issues uh, with, with pilots in general compared to fixing or any other aircraft. There just aren't accidents and issues. And when they do happen, they get blown up worldwide because, you know, it's a bullet. Oh my gosh, right? Is it just a... So yeah. what I would say is it's it's safer right now for you to go in a balloon than for you to drive to go ballooning. It is much right. safer than you go in a balloon. Uh, and that's why we, you know, and, and even in the state of Washington, uh, we haven't had an issue since 1970 where someone broke a, an ankle. That was in 1970. So it's really around the communities the safety and the training that we all do in America to make sure that we have safe flights. Are there any countries that you would be nervous to jump in a balloon? Um, I would, I mean, me knowing ballooning. <laughs> yes. Um, I would check certain things of check, hey, do they have an annual on the balloon, right? And I understand the equipment and know what to look for. But in general, if you're going with major companies anywhere in the world, you're pretty good. Um, if it's a you know, if you're in Mexico, you want to make sure you're in a, a high end, like the top larger ones, companies, you wouldn't want to go with the small ones. Same thing like Vietnam or Thailand or, you know, Malaysia, certain like in third world countries, they just don't have the same oversight. And it's not to say they aren't great pilots. It's just, there's a very, very big difference of would you be willing to go on a Delta flight versus some random airline that is having lots and lots of issues all the time that's kind of the difference. So I would say, uh, I check your worthiness documents and if I'm going anywhere, I'm going to, 
make sure they're doing everything right. And if I have friends going to Egypt, I'm telling them, hey, go fly to the pyramids, but fly with one of the large balloon companies um, and make sure these are the things to look for and ask. Cool. So why is ballooning so expensive? That's one of the things I've always wondered. Um, so for one of our guests to go hot air ballooning in India, it's like 400 US dollars, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, we actually charge, you know, 375 per person uh, mm -hmm. for uh, for sunset flights and 325 for sunset where we fly. Um, the balloon itself uh, ends up being about a $200,000 rig, Okay. right? So between the balloon... Uh, you know, the whole balloon system, the truck, the trailer, the van to carry passengers, you're looking about $200,000 to take 10 people in a balloon. So on our flights, that 10 passenger balloon is making about $3,700. We have about an 80% profit margin, right? So we have good profit margins, but what it allows us to do is then buy new equipment of new balloons every 600 hours. We buy new balloon equipment. So it's fresh. It's good. We know that there's couldn't possibly be an issue with it. Um, so that's part of the reason. And then you have propane costs is expensive, crew, and then you have professional pilots. So you're putting your life in someone's hands. So you have to ask yourself, if you were to go skydiving, would you want to go with a discount skydiving company that uses old parachutes? Probably not. It's the same way with ballooning. So we are the most expensive by 30%, but we also have um, the best possible safety record because we don't fly in anything weird because we don't care. So we only fly in great weather and we can ensure people's safety because of that with great balloon equipment. So that's why I'd say it's so expensive, but I don't think it's expensive if you're trusting someone's with your life to go in a, you know, fabric balloon in a wicker basket to thousands of feet in the sky, right? Right. It also occurs to me that um, you can only fly once a day. Is that right? Uh, twice a day. Uh, some day areas only once. So you fly only at sunrise and sunset because that's when the winds are the most consistent. But in, you know, if it's the middle of winter, you could, sure, fly at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because there's no temperature change causing weird winds. Right. Um, and you mentioned before that pretty much everyone's kind of 60s and 70s white dudes who got into the sport decades ago, right? So that must mean that, um, firstly, that there are balloon companies coming up for sale right now. Is that happening? Um, it's not that there's not, a, there are some balloon companies that come up for sale. There's one in California that they're trying to sell for $12 million. That's a large operation. Um, there are ones for sale, but ultimately when you're in ballooning, you're really creating it from scratch each time because you get your, you have your own balloon and you start flying small groups and then you get a little larger balloon. Um, for me, I was always in marketing before and sales before I got into ballooning. So I look at it as like, I built it as a tech company. I didn't build it as a, uh, we just happened to fly balloons. But I use tons of AI. I use all kinds of conversion stuff. And all my learnings from working with giant unicorn billion dollar companies over the years, that's where I learned all the skills and how we built our company. But most people don't buy another company. They just kind of move up in their size of their balloon um, and then slowly, you know, hodgepodge a website. You know, I think it's probably like a lot of tour operators, right? Like you have your passion and you just kind of throw it together. And then there's other people that come from different industries that go, oh, wow, this is really easy if I can take that knowledge and then happen to do what I love. Right. Yeah, actually, in Australia, you're probably aware of this, but not many people outside of ballooning would be. Um, and no, tell me if you're aware of this. So there was an Australian company, is an Australian company, present tense. They 
they started buying up all the the skydive companies around Australia, right? They're called Experience Co. I think they were called Australian Skydiving Company beforehand, but now they're called Experience Co. And they're listed on the Australian Stock Exchange because you need a very small minimum in revenue to list on the Australian Stock Exchange. And they started just acquiring every single skydive company they could because there's like limited access to the amount of companies that could use a skydive spot that's actually been designated as a kind of like launch spot. And so they had a bit of a, you know, they could, they could buy in and it's not like other people could just buy in. And then they kind of just dominated the skydiving industry and got a bit ahead of themselves and started just buying everything, right? They, 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 they bought, you know, snorkeling boats and they bought rafting companies. Um, they were worth hundreds of millions of dollars at one point. Um, and then they started buying up a ton of hot air ballooning companies. They're cash cows. Cash cows. But um, didn't I, I think it didn't work out in the end that well for them because of the simple reason they just kind of got a bit ahead of themselves. They just started buying literally everything they could. You know, it's... Not managing it properly. You know, I, I, you see a lot of companies that do that, you know, that expand too much and don't, uh, even with public companies when they acquire businesses, right? And if you... If you're going to acquire, it's all about how you do the marketing to cross-sell effectively using the passengers that already exist from each company. And that's really the value of it, right? So for example, there's a, uh, the company that's being, you know, sold in California. Uh, there's a company that's looking at buying them that does wine stuff. And that's in Napa, right? It's a little weird. It's like, well, why would they want a balloon company? But if you can cross-sell wine experiences with ballooning, it all fits together, right? It's the same group of people. And when you think about marketing, that's where it makes sense when you're buying a company is does it give you something else that helps? Unfortunately, in ballooning, like it requires a certain amount of, of skill and training and you need to keep good pilots and keep marketing. When you're trying to market everything, you better have a marketing powerhouse to be able to have that many blog posts, keyword silos, and everything set up appropriately so you can actually rank for all of those or you rank for one and then you cross sell. And they probably just didn't do that well uh, in doing that and didn't set it up in a way that allowed them to you know, really grow appropriately. Um, and if yeah. you don't understand a sport specifically, you don't know what you need to buy. And you know, you have a pilot saying you need this and you're not willing to because you're just the business owner. Uh, that's yeah, probably also other stuff that caused issues. It comes back to what you said earlier a bit as well, right? And um, you talked about how you you built up a, a fairly uh, robust skill set in many, many different ways and came into the hot air ballooning industry. There's a good chance that these guys were not professional business managers, right? They... You no, know, they were probably really good at skydiving, mm. right? And they were really good at that and they started having success because they had good reviews and then they you know, found someone to give them some money and assumed it would all cross. And I'd say a lot does cross over, but running businesses is completely separate from being a tour guide, you know, and, and being one good experience doesn't mean the other one will be. And I think that's what, you know, I think um, excites me about multi-day is like, you have to create epic experiences on a daily basis for multiple days, right? Right. And doing a lot of different activities. And that's where I've always been curious because I wasn't into multi-day before this. I mean, I was literally just like, great, I'm doing my flights. We're having fun. I've got four, pi four full-time pilots. I've got 23 crew. 
everything works. It's like a well-oiled machine. And, uh, and I really was like, well, if this is good enough, I think we can do multi-day, you know, but it's really a totally different animal at the same time. Yeah, I'm super happy you segued into this multi-day aspect because I'm curious to know what this guy's name is Buddy. You said he was the greatest torp rider of all time. All right, so let me let me tell you about Buddy Bombard. Now let's have guy, it. So Buddy Bombard was uh, started this ski chalet club in the 1960s, and this guy was like bringing people together, like cool experiences skiing. Got into ballooning in like the mid 70s, and he's like, I should do balloon tours around Europe. We'll fly over castles and like hang out with countesses and we'll drink wines in these people's wine cellars. And he created uh, the Cappadocia ballooning community. No one had flown in Cappadocia till him. After right. a day in Switzerland, in the mountains in the snow, now there's a hundred balloons together every year for this festival. He started it by doing these like rides to Switzerland, right? And you'd stay at one chateau and high end, you know, fairly high end for the eighties, right? Nineties. And then you would go to it, you'd stay there, but you'd go to different places each day to go balloon. And then you'd have like French picnic lunches by private chef. And then you'd go drink wine with a countess. And then you'd meet someone and do a candlelit dinner. I mean, he he really understood it. And and he was getting celebrities and you know, royalty, all these people to come with him. And in 1990, he was charging like eight, nine thousand dollars for a week which was a lot of money for a tour at that time, right? Yeah, it's still still a fair chunk of coin, even in 2023. So back right. then, yeah, that's like, you could buy half a house for that kind of money. Exactly. <laughs> so he was, re and he was full. Car, at least. Like, full was everywhere. Full. And he had 20 pilots. He had these beautiful balloons. Talk about branding. He had these uh, flower balloons. Because he said, who can be not in a balloon and flowers? Right? <laughs> and... You know, he, um, and this was all pre-internet. I mean, he was on, on Air France on their, you know, magazines. And he was, you know, was everything he could do through travel agents. And he had really figured out the experience. It was about the experience. So what's crazy is, let's say you had bad weather and you only did like one or two balloon flights. People were still like, this was the greatest experience ever. Because he would literally create it as like, you know, wearing tuxes when they'd fly. And like, I mean, it was ridiculous. But when I look back to who had the best tour company ever, no, with Black Tomato, all that private jet BS stuff, this guy crushed them and would still destroy him if he was around today. But he decided, you know what? The He goes, I'm going to shut it down. This is 2002. He goes, I'm going to shut it down and no one will ever fly my balloons again. Destroyed all the balloons shut down the company because that was his like you know his then, deal he was remembered for it and after that no one ever knew then what then he just rode a horse off into a into the sunset pretty much like he rode a horse he shut down didn't sell it to anyone uh i now own buddybombard.com like i mean i bought the website even when it went out like it was um you know it's really amazing they retired and passed away this last year and that was it you know, and, and people still are like, wow, that was like the greatest experience of their life. And the people that he worked with, let me tell you something crazy, Matt. If you think about the people that work with you or anyone listening, you think about the people that work for your tour company. These guys were called the red shirts. They'd all wear red shirts. And these guys were more committed than a MAGA like guy today who's still stoked about Trump. 
that's how these his crew was. Could you imagine having that type of of crew that's like that committed to you even 20 years after? Did you know Tourpreneur also has a Facebook community of over 7,000 tour operators? If you are not a member, then search for Tourpreneur on Facebook and join a thriving community of tour operators and other travel professionals, all of whom learn from each other as well as from Chris, Mitch, Pete, and many other industry experts. By becoming a member, you will be notified first of any events, meetups, and exclusive content. Join the Tourpreneur community today. Facebook.com slash group slash Tourpreneur. And, and so when I bought Buddy Bomber, I started getting hate mail from the red shirts. They're like, you'll never be Buddy Bombard. Why'd you buy a sale? Like, this is hilarious. I was like, wow, they're on top of it. So committed. It's amazing. You know, and wouldn't we all wish to create an experience like that, that 20 years later, those guys are still standing up for you? Holy cow. Right. right? Yes. Amazing. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So how are you going to do it? So I was like, how do we start this thing? Because I've always wanted to. So uh, I've always jammed with SEO and I build a ton of content. I use a ton of AI stuff. I'm pretty open about it. Uh, I've been using AI to write content for two and a half years. Um, well, you know, and uh, now jamming with ChatGTP. But um, the first thing that I always do is I build out content before I ever start any tours. So we started building them out for uh, multi-day luxury tours. And if... Uh, uh, even like luxury tours, we started showing up on the first page, like in general on Google from just like a one blog post we had done about it um, and start doing it that way. And then we rebuilt our site. So we designed the site so it has like Seattle, Walla Walla, festivals and multi-day tours. And the idea is it now allows people to find all those different spaces. Um, in starting out, we're not necessarily looking for random people to come with us. We are starting out with a very curated experience uh, with people that we built with networking over the years in the same way that Buddy built the Chalet Club, right? The Chalet Club was very wealthy people. They became friends with him, went on these ski adventures, and he moved out into the ballooning world. Um, so I've been in the tech world for a long time. Um, so there, you know, I was just at South by Southwest with William Shatner for his uh, uh, for the launch of his new uh, his um, documentary, which is amazing. Uh, by the way, and there we're at the party and who's there? All the Vulcan guys, Voyager, you know, all these astronauts that have been to space, all these Bitcoin billionaires, all these guys. And I would just share with them what I'm up to and what I'm excited about. They're like, that sounds amazing. For me to fill a 10 passenger balloon at $20,000 a person for seven or eight days is not challenging for those first couple. And we're creating those curated events and experiences. Then following that, then we'll open those up to more like general, but they'll still be curated of who's allowed on that tour. And if that makes sense, it's like you want to have an experience where it's the right people, especially with a high value tour like this. You wouldn't want someone who two people are 80 year old and everyone else is 20. Right. Right. You want to make sure that it's curated. And where I learned that from was uh, the summit series. Are you familiar with them? Uh, oof, rings a bell. You're going to have to explain it. So the Summit Series were these like 10 friends in college that were like, you know what, let's like rent this 20,000 square foot house and then let's curate dinners with like famous celebrities and different people and like, you know, these CEOs to create these incredible curated dinners with like eight to 12 people. And I had the opportunity to go to one in uh, when I was in Los Angeles working with one of their startups for a while uh, in Santa Monica and they had this 40,000 square foot house. 
and they invite me over for dinner. I don't know who's there. It ends up being Peter Thiel, Gus Van Sant, you know, the guy that um, yeah. did uh, Good Will Hunting and Milk. And, you know, this guy from MTV, Derek Lewis, the, like the best piano player in the world at the time. And it was like so fascinating. And they curated this amazing experience. I was like, this is it. Like you need to curate. And then the la- and then the more recent experience I had was I went to Richard Branson's Island uh, to Necker Island. I went last year in November, a year, a little over a year ago. And again, it was curated with the most fascinating people in AI who are making a difference in the world. And I got very lucky to go and I mostly just hung out with Branson to talk about balloons. But it was the most interesting group I've ever met in my life. Like we're talking 19-year-olds that had half a billion dollars. You know, people had all sold their companies. People were in the forefront of AI, uh, you know, in, in medical or whatever it was. It was, And so when you start to realize those groups, those are the groups when you're doing high and luxury multi-day tours. So it's how do you get to them? You start with those groups and then you expand as you have amazing experiences, but you're not worried about it being perfect that first time because you also know them a little bit. Interesting. And then so we'll, get, we'll, we'll be at all kinds of, you know, big magazines because we're, you know, we'll do our PR and everything else. And, you know, uh-huh. the world's only hot air balloon, multi-day luxury tour. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I don't know. All right. So what, what's... You must have some pretty interesting and somewhat ridiculous. I don't know if ridiculous is the right word, but like tell us some of the some of the magic you've cooked cooked up for the experiences. Yeah, so uh, I'll tell you about the one in Seattle because this one we're now uh, uh, that we just started selling, which is great, um, and uh, so we already got commitments, which is wonderful. Um, this one you start in Seattle, you come to Seattle, and you stay. We stay in high end Airbnbs, right, or luxury homes that aren't through Airbnb, the luxury homes. Uh, so each group, and there's four to uh, four to five couples in each balloon, and there's one balloon that we do at a time. Sometimes we'll do two. We'll find out, you know, as we fill them. Uh, but in this case, there's four or five couples, so there's four or five bedrooms. There's an amazing kitchen. We bring in a private chef. So the first night, four-course epic meal, and we open a 1960s Bordeaux. So we're drinking old epic wines. Mm. Uh, the, we have two different chefs. One was on top chef. Who's incredible. Uh, the other one worked as a Michelin star chef, uh, that we're friends with. Uh, and then my father-in-law is a French chef who's incredible. So you, the chefs come in, they cook this amazing meal in the morning. You fly in front of Mount Rainier. It's epic, right? Flying in front of 14,000 volcano, have your first flight. It's beautiful and amazing. At sunrise, you land and you have a black car that then takes you two black cars that take the four couples or five couples up to, uh, Mount Rainier. And we do a picnic French lunch on top of Mount Rainier, white tablecloth. Then from there, they go to uh, Prosser, Washington. You get in Prosser, you get into your place. We go do an amazing private tour of a of an orchard you can't tour, right? It's a private friend of ours. Um, you talk about like great experiences, right, that are unique. Then while they're doing that, the chefs make another amazing meal. And that's where then we drink. Uh, that's where we bring out the 1964 ports, which are wonderful, along with then Northwest wines. So we have... Uh, wines from Leonetti, and we have li- wines. If you're into wines, we have wines from uh, uh, Charles. Um, um, what's it called? Um, Cayuse uh, Winery, which is like the top in the Northwest, one top in the world, and is champagne. So you drink these amazing Northwest wines as you're in the Northwest, some beautiful Syrahs. Then in the morning, you fly over the Yakima Valley. Then you have one more flight. You go to the next day to Walla Walla. Fl- you go to these beautiful vineyards. You get to go to um, uh, these 
almost looks like you're in the, the Swiss Alps, these beautiful Syrah vineyards, right? We do picnic lunches again, again, amazing chef. And then you fly over wine country, over the vineyards and meet, meet these amazing winemakers. And then we fly on a private plane back to Seattle. Uh, Cause we became friends with a guy who has a giant eight, eight to 10 passenger plane. So we traded him some balloon rides and he's flying people back, which is wonderful. So that was the experience in Seattle and it's 10 grand, which is probably underpriced. You know, yeah, yeah, probably, you know, yeah. Find out what it is. I mean, we still make right. such a high profit margin. It's a great place to start and to make sure it's perfect. And then we'll start to expand that. And then we run it backwards the other way. So you fly them into Seattle, into Walla Walla, and you run the tour backwards the other way. So if you're not excited, I love I don't the. Think I love. Excited. I'm, I'm like struggling it. to process this actually. I just because like I love the energy. It just sounds like such an amazing experience. <laughs> you know, um, it's a, it, it really even just going in a balloon is epic, right? Yeah. But yeah. having being like part of it, understanding the crew, becoming friends, seeing how they fly, like and getting that high end experience, which is really like being French royalty, because that's where balloons came from, right? Like balloons started in the 1700s, and they drank champagne because. They had to hold it beneath the basket so that people would would know they weren't a dragon or an army. So right. they came from, so everyone was drinking champagne. So it really ballooning and wine and these high end like kind of royalty style activities really go together. Um, but nice. this isn't like a you know hey let's not go on the cruise and go on a balloon tour, you know like the eighties with Buddy Bombard. This is a you know this is exclusive. So right. And one thing that you you mentioned that I really want to pick up on. You talked about going to an orchard that. It's not publicly, there's no public access available to it. And that is, that's part of luxury as well, right? Is this kind of the idea that I'm getting experiences that are only available to me through the network of the person who's hosting me. Yep. And, and those are, you have to be really careful with those too, right? Like we can't do them every week. And that was the same thing with Buddy Bombard. He did them in different places because if you were going to go to a countess's castle, he's friends with her. That's why she's letting him do it. Like these vineyard winery maker, these, um, you know, winemakers, we've taken them all ballooning. We've become friends and built those relationships over the last couple of years. And now we're like, Hey, can we do this a couple of times? And that's what takes so long in creating those unique experiences, uh, without having to, you know, pay massive amount of money because right amount of money, you can do anything. Right. But yes, you know, yes. But even if you were to pay that Swiss countess, a lot of money at some point, she starts running out of energy as well. Right. But it's all about what do they get out of it as well? Right. Like, do they get something? Are you bringing something of value that they're getting? And it's not like pe new people are going to buy their wine because they have a wine list that's 10 years long to get on. Right. They're not worried about selling more wine, but it's about having the being about that experience where these people get this amazing experience going ballooning and they get to connect with them and, and share their passion in a different way than you usually would. Yeah, there's like a novelty aspect to it. There's like a novelty aspect to it, isn't it? It's kind of like doing something a bit different. Hey, he's my friend. He's got this cool idea. He's going to bring some people. Yeah, I'll yeah, support him too. Sure, you know. Yeah, they appreciate what I'm doing. It's going to be a bit of fun. But if he starts working up with people every single day, it's like, holy shit, this is a job now. <laughs> yeah, and you can't do it that way. And I think that it's also, you know, remembering that like you don't, when I build relationships with a lot of these guys, it's not about um, trying to get something in return. It's really about like doing it just to do it, to become friends with people, right? Because, uh, and I look at ballooning as very much for a long time I was in ballooning. Uh, I got a balloon because I used it for sales. Like I used it to build relationships with people who I couldn't get meetings with. And you ask them to come ballooning with you. They're like, really? Like, and they'll either book a meeting with you in their office and talk about ballooning for an hour. 
or if they come with you, you become good friends with them. And so it was what my mentor said to me. He said, it was the CEO of the company I worked with that got me into ballooning. He said, if someone trusts you their life, they'll trust you with their money and their business. And I was like, that makes sense. And so that's where I used to use it for. So I still like take people on adventures, asking nothing in return, no expectations, because you're building a relationship. It's not about trying to get something. And if it comes great, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. You still like build a cool friend, right? And had an amazing experience together. I'm curious. This it's amazing. Pretty much every time you, you talk, there's like you know, my my brain kind of shatters sometimes because I'm like, well, out of the four things that I want to pick out here, which are the four? So, um, you had a previous boss slash mentor who told you to use balloons. Gave the inside tip to use balloons as a way to get meetings with people. Yeah. Well, he had a. Well, what happened was the CEO of the company he had a hot air balloon. And he'd been flying since like the 60s, right? He's like one of the oh, first balloon okay. pilots in the United States. And he right. he took me flying because I won a sales contest. And we went in Nashville, Tennessee, at Lever's Fork, went to 10,000 feet, right? Watched the sunrise in the dark. Watched, then watched the sunrise. Came down, landed, uh, landed right next to Naomi Judd's house, right? Like, like, oh, that's cool. I just hang out with a bunch of celebrities, right? Then we go back to his house. He opened a 1997 Silver Oak, perfectly aged, right? Exactly 12 years aged. It's a hundred point wine. And he goes, whenever you go ballooning, you got to share an amazing bottle of wine. Don't ever serve cheap champagne. And like, I was like, oh, good to know, right? And then we went, after that, we um, smoked Cuban cigars, drank scotch, like fished while eating sushi in his stock pond. I was like, this is like, why do you have a hot air balloon? And he goes, I acquire companies with it. I was like, how? And he goes, it's exactly what we just did. He goes, when you build relationships like that, it works. And it's not about, it's just doing it to do it. And if it works out, it works out. But at least you've built a relationship. He goes, some people go golfing. Some people, you know, you can buy anyone a state. But there's nothing and no fast way to build a relationship than taking someone ballooning. I like it. And you took it, you took it back seriously. I was like, all right. And then he told me about Richard Branson signing Janet Jackson as balloon. And I was like, all right, fine. I think I'll buy a hot air balloon. <laughs> Twits my arm. <laughs> and and this is now what you do. You know, it's, uh, yeah, so I have the balloon company, uh, but I also run an AI company too. So with the ballooning, which was weird, uh, I was using live chat back in um, 2016 using Chatra. And uh, I kept getting people asking these questions and my wife was getting pissed at me because I'm like in bed at 11 o'clock, like texting people, you know, sure your wife would love you for that. Um, and, uh, I'm getting sick of it. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, how do I automate this? And I found like, you can make a chat bot. It's like 2017, like way early. And I happened to find Drift, which is the top chatbot company in the world. And at the time they were selling these things for like, 300 bucks, you know, you could have their platform. Now they're 30,000 a year, right? Like a lot more expensive now. I ended up building this epic chatbot that answered every question about ballooning. And what happened was that I had other balloon companies go, hey, how can we do this thing you're doing? And I thought it was with tour companies building chatbots and very quickly realized it was actually, I got stuck back selling to B2B companies, working with mid-market and enterprise and public companies, building out these chatbot systems based on what I learned from the balloon company. And then anything I'd learned from one of their systems, I'd apply to my own chatbot of conversion or anything. And at this point, uh, I'd 
we do consulting on the side for that. And then I built a platform that allows like, I can use my balloon chatbot. If there's an article in Forbes about me, I can shout with people on Forbes about my balloon rides. And that's the platform that I built. So I do a lot of AI stuff, but the ballooning is my absolute passion. And if I could, uh, and I won't do anything that's not 50% as fun as ballooning. So we're like 51%. So I'm still good right now. But if it gets annoying, I'm out and I'll just fly balloons and see. Screen. Nice. All right, man. This, this chat has been very inspiring. Very inspiring. Just uh, about just uh, one of the key things that we talk about internally at, at my company is this idea of special feeling, right? And it's a, it's a term that, we just had to make up, right? So special feeling is, so when when you're reading the editorial description, when you look at the photos, when it's it's all about, like when, when people are booking travel, they, they kind of, they have the, there's like a special feeling attached to it, right? And when you're reading a good description, you start to feel that feeling, right? That doesn't have a name. It's just kind of like your heart starts going a little bit. You start to feel a bit of that wanderlust, right? And um, that's often so much while we get into travel. But like once we get stuck in the trenches, sometimes we forget that we start to get a bit mechanical. We start just trying to pump out tour descriptions or pump out this or pump out that, or just make sure this guy gets paid or whatever. But, um, I always try to, I always try to center myself, recenter myself as much as I can. Yeah. About, it is about special feeling, right? About trying to, it's about magic and trying to recapture that magic and try to create magic for other people. I love it. I think that's hard to do or was hard. Right. Up until like two years ago when we started getting AI stuff, um, I took, uh, there were two things that I changed with my site in the last two years when I started working with a new designer and developer. Um, and I'd searched for someone for a long time to find someone who was damn good. And I found this like guy who's just ridiculous. His Falcon design. He's insane. Just a single dude who's just so good at what he yeah, does. Great. Yeah, and, uh, uh, I checked him out just so you know. I checked him out before the before we spoke, and he's good. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. And when we uh, he goes, Eliab, there's two things that are wrong with your site. He goes, you need photos of happy people. Stop putting just pretty photos of balloons. He goes, you need to show the experience and what it's really like at that moment of that joy and of really people and. I was like, okay, makes sense. So I got him a bunch of people photos, right? And then the um, the other piece was the language because I'd put in a lot of SEO and a lot of words, right? To make sure that I was ranking because we started ranking number one for tons and tons of stuff, right? And the I started using ChatGPT um, about two years ago, like there uh, through Jarvis, you know, which was like one of the early AI writers mm-hmm. or Jasper, you know? And... Uh, I just wrote like, use the tone of Robin Leach, right? Like the guy from the rich and famous. And I go, use descriptive adjectives. I started like relearning the English language that I did not care about. And I was never an amazing writer. And all of a sudden I was like, use similes, use descriptive storytelling, you know, use like wonderlust adjectives and tantalizing adjectives around descriptions. And all of a sudden, like my words that I already built would turn magical where the feeling was there like so powerful um and sometimes i went over the top and then i went back and changed it and i know you and i even chatted about that right but yeah that was our first interaction was me shitting on your coffee (laughs) yeah but you know what's funny the conversion's insane and people read that and they get the feeling of what it is like and it's that transference of feeling and emotion is why it's the most important thing 
That's the most important thing. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. And Absolutely. but I did change some words for you. But now using ChatGPT, the new four, I have to say, like, I wrote an entire content, like four thousand word content piece today. That's amazing, that's and uh, it was that's good. Beautiful. Yeah, that's almost a different episode, right? Like I've been interacting with ChatGPT myself, and it takes it's all it's a skill in it in it, in and of itself to get it to give you the right um, output. But yeah, exactly. The transference of feeling is 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 so important when it comes to copy. Um, but that is a different topic for a different day. I, I really want to thank you for for giving us a bit of your magic, man, and inspiring me, and hopefully other people who are listening to to keep on bringing that creativity and trying to design the best experience as possible because that's the industry we're in. Yeah. Thank you very much, Eliave. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, yep. So you can go to you can always get in touch with me on on uh, Facebook or Seattle Ballooning. If you go to the chat button, you're like, hey, get me a pilot, damn it, you know. I don't know. Whatever you want to say that breaks the chatbot, uh, you'll get me in. I'm happy to always chat with folks, you know, and, and share information. I think the more you share with different tour folks who run different businesses, you learn a hell of a lot, um, whether it's, you know, around OTAs or it's around pricing or conversion or whatever. And I think we're all willing to share as long as you're not our direct competitor that lives next door to us. Um, and I think that's what's special around the tour industry, right? Is like, we can share that kind of stuff and it becomes really, really amazing when you do. And uh, I, so always happy if people want to get in touch with us um, and however you want through Seattle Ballooning. Nice. Nice. Cool. Well, um, yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Eliav. Yeah. Wonderful chat with you, man. Likewise.